the sermon from St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church of Hancock, Minnesota, from Sunday, February 20th, based on Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. Please remain seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You heard the text read earlier, the gospel for today, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints, washed clean in the blood of our risen Savior. Valentine's Day, last Monday, a day of love, or or maybe more precisely, a, a day of liking, because isn't that whom we give Valentine's to, people that we like? And contrary to popular opinion, Love is not necessarily simply liking someone a whole lot. But that's where the fallen human heart stops, isn't it? That's the only kind of love this world knows, the love that shows to people that we like. There's something about them that attracts us to them or draws our friendship. Maybe it's a natural bond as between parent and child. Maybe it's shared interest or common likes. Maybe it's simply that we enjoy being around that person. Their their company makes us feel happy or, or complete. As far as the world is concerned, love is just a certain degree of liking. And that's the only kind of love the world knows. But today, dear friends, we want to talk about a love that's out of this world. A love that has nothing to do with liking someone or something. May the Holy Spirit, through the words of Jesus, work that love in our hearts here today. Jesus here, in the text, describes that love. He says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now before we talk about our love here that Jesus is describing, we need to rewind. Did you catch those last words from that quotation from Jesus? He said, Your Father in heaven. Do you realize how much is contained in those few words? You should because you say the same thought every time you pray, Our Father who art in heaven. So let's think about that here a little bit. Imagine how you would feel if a despicable, sleazy, dirty, stinky character knocks on your door. He has a horrible reputation around town, but he rings your doorbell and says, Hey, buddy, let's, let's hang out together. You know, I think I'd be taken back a bit, offended. What goal does he have to ring my doorbell? Where does he get off calling me his friend as if I liked him? Now, take that indignation and multiply it to the nth degree. Who are we, despicable, dirty, stinky sinners? To address the holy, pure God, not simply as a friend, but as Father. Where do we get off calling Him, or calling ourselves, His children? And and the shock of what those words actually say so often just goes over our head because we don't realize just how repulsive our sinfulness was and how offensive it is to His holiness. Maybe to help us imagine that, just just, um, 
Think of the worst harm a person could do to you, causing pains not only of the body, but pains that rip through the heart and soul as well. Think of the atrocities of Stalin and Hitler, of Ted Bundy or, or Charles Manson aimed at you and your family and your children. What we've done against God is far, far worse than any of that. No matter how great a harm another person could cause you, our sin against God is a greater offense. And this sounds sort of far-fetched to us, like it's an exaggeration. But that just illustrates how we like to downplay the seriousness of sin. Your sin and mine was rebellion against God. The sinful mind is hostile to God, Romans 8 declares. Your pride and mine usurped God's throne. Our sinful words and actions trampled His holy name into the dirt. Yes, our natural selves, the way we came into this world, there was nothing in us to draw God's affection towards us. Everything about us repulsed His holiness Psalm 5 correctly says to the Lord, You hate all who do wrong. And how much wrong haven't you and I done? We were rightly under the verdict, The soul who sins is the one that will die. Ezekiel 18. Again, our reasoning, human minds, wants to try to bridge this chasm. There there must have been something in me, some spark to attract God, we want to claim. But don't try to cross that phantom bridge it only leads to death the answer isn't to be found in ourselves or in anything we can create or discover about ourselves the answer to why God is our father is found in that love that's out of this world that love that has nothing to do with liking As we've seen, there was nothing in us for God to like. And since He is holy and just, the true God hates all that's tainted by sin and damns the sinner to hell. But the holy, just God so loved this dirty, sinful, hated world, including you and me, that He gave His only begotten Son. Yes, Whoever believes in the Son, Jesus Christ, will not perish but has eternal life. That's the love that's out of this world. That's the love that has nothing to do with liking for His love. Loved the unlikable, loved the unlovable. God's love loved you and me. And as Jesus in the text here talks about our Heavenly Father, He brings that love to mind. As we look at the Scriptures, the the Holy Spirit says it best. Listen to what the Spirit says through the Apostle Paul in in Romans chapter 5 as he describes this love that's out of this world. He says here, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And that was you and me. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
That's the love that's out of this world. That's the love that made you, dear friend, made you a child of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And as Jesus in the text here speaks of our Father in heaven, he brings, he recalls to our hearts that love that came from heaven and came down to the cross in our place while we were still his ungodly enemies. And when we were still his enemies, fighting against him. He reconciled you. His love reconciled you through his son. He changed you from an enemy into his child. And now how much more? How much more now that you are his child through faith in Christ Jesus? How much more won't his love lavish on you? Paul brings that out as well in that same section from Romans chapter 5 when he writes, For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Yes, every morning that you see the sun rise, every time the refreshing rain makes our food grow, ponder the love of your heavenly Father just as he continues to show that kindness to the sun and the rain, shows that kindness even to those who hate him, as we once did, so also reminds us of that love that he has shown to us, even while we had been his enemies. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's the love that gave you His only begotten Son. That's the love that has brought you to know and trust in Jesus as your God and Savior from sin, so that you, yes, you, dear sinner, are a child of God through faith in Christ Jesus. What love the Father has lavished on us, even while we were still His enemies. That's the love that is out of this world. And dear Christian, that is the love that God has filled your hearts with. For you are children of the Heavenly Father. You've heard that saying, the apple does not fall far from the tree. Children inherit or imitate the characteristics of their parents. You, through faith in Christ, are children of your Heavenly Father. His love fills you. And as His love fills us in Christ, as it fills your heart, it also shows in your life. It changes our love towards others so that we too show that we are children, sons and daughters of our Father in Heaven by the way we treat others, showing them that love that is out of this world, that love that has nothing to do with liking. Jesus describes that love, first of all, by, by talking about getting even, personal revenge. The Pharisees found a quote in the Old Testament that they, they like to use here, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. They used that to justify getting back at their personal enemies. But God had not spoken those words in order to justify getting even. Rather, those words are, is, is God's illustration that the punishment is to fit the crime. Those were words spoken to the government and to the courtroom, not to our own personal behavior. Now, when it comes to my personal life, 
Jesus makes it clear here that revenge, getting even, is to have no place in my heart. As a Christian, I don't want it there. As a Christian, you don't want it there. In fact, it's better to suffer wrong than to harbor revenge in our hearts. Do you see how Jesus illustrates that with that vivid language in the text here? It's better if someone strikes you on both cheeks rather than to let revenge fill your heart. It's better to have them sue you for twice as much rather than to be consumed by revenge. It's better to carry their luggage an extra mile rather than to have a heart of vengeance. For if revenge and getting even fills our hearts, what room is left for God's love to fill us? Now, as we think about Jesus' words here, though, some people want to claim that this was some new teaching that Jesus had come up with, but no. All Jesus is doing here is making clear what the Pharisees and other teachers of the law had obscured over the years. You heard it in the reading from Leviticus that the same thing had been said long ago in the days of Moses. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge. And again, back in the days of Moses, God had said, and this is recorded in Deuteronomy, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. It belongs to him and his authorities, those whom he has placed in authority, his representatives. And, and that, that also helps us understand these words too, that people often seem to misuse. If God has placed you in a position of authority in the home, in the government, in the, in, in the church, then you have two roles. In your role as a Christian, we are not to harbor any vengeance in our hearts, but you are also God's agent in that role of authority. And he wants you to use that position to see that the bad behavior is punished as much as it's in your power to do so. For example, as a parent raising a child or as a juror hearing a court case or as a police officer providing law and order, it would be wrong to quote Jesus here and say, well, I'm supposed to turn the other cheek so I'm going to let the guilty person go free. No, there, in that role as that person in authority, we are to see that the guilty are punished accordingly, that, that bad behavior is disciplined. And yet, even as we do that, we don't do it as a way of getting back at them to get revenge to them through the legal process. No. We do it because out of love for God and for that place of authority, position of authority he has put us in. And that also helps us see that contrary to some people's use of these words, this is not a blank check for people to misuse and abuse us Christians. And when Jesus talks about turning the other cheek or, or a little bit later about freely giving, this is not a blank check for others to walk all over us Christians. For you see, this is one reason God has given us the government to protect our body and property. And so... If someone is trying to harm our body or take our property, we are to turn it over to the authorities to handle, those whom God has placed in charge. 
But even as we do this, it isn't to get back at them through the long arm of the law. No, even then, our hearts is not to be filled with vengeance, but it is to be out of love uh, for, for, for what is right and out of thanks to God who gave us our body and property and wants us to protect them. And if those in authority do not carry out their responsibilities in the way we think they should, that still doesn't give us right to take the law into our own hands. Rather, then we leave it to our Heavenly Father, and He will repay. And so as we think about those examples, we begin to see that Jesus' words here don't call for some sort of mechanical application that you're keeping these words if you let someone hit you on the other cheek simply. No, Jesus is aiming at the heart, isn't he? And so as we ask that question, how do we put these words into practice? The answer calls for Christian honesty and wisdom. First of all, it calls for honesty as we examine our own hearts. What is motivating my behavior towards others? And all of my motives will be tainted by my sinful nature in this life. Yet what is the driving force? Is it a selfishness that doesn't want to help them out? Is it a, a sense of revenge or, or is it love? And then Christian wisdom recognizes that love, true love, does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. 1 Corinthians 13. Or as you heard in the reading from Romans, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Love realizes or wisdom realizes that love does what is best for the other person, even though that might not be what they're asking for at the time. For example, if someone has led a wasteful life and, 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 and has been lazy and shows no signs of changing, and if they come to you and say, lend me some money or give me some money, see, Jesus says you're supposed to, Christian wisdom and love says no. Because Christian wisdom realizes that to give the person money under those circumstances is simply to share in their waste, sinful wastefulness and encourage their sinful laziness. Christian wisdom and love wants to help others lead a God-pleasing life. And yet even as we do that, we need to be honest that our motives here isn't to try to excuse sinful behavior in ourselves or sinful motives, but it is out of that love that love that is imitating the love of our Heavenly Father. And when we keep all this in mind, it, it truly helps us understand those words of Jesus. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in Heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now why? Why does God show such goodness even to the wicked. Why? Because he is merciful. As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I do not take pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Ezekiel 33. Why does he show goodness to the wicked? Because he is patient. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Rather, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Second Peter 3. Why does he show goodness to the wicked? Because he is kind. 
Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? And now do you see why the Lord, or his, his goal, his aim in showing such mercy, kindness, and patience? His goal is to work repentance. And so also that's the kind of love we show our enemies. That love that longs for their repentance. That prays for their conversion. It's not the kind of love that the world likes to paint here. A love that condones their sinfulness or minimizes the, the, the badness of evil. It does not like their bad behavior. Remember this love has nothing to do with liking. Rather it's love that imitates our Heavenly Father. It hates the evil just as he does. It even prays that he puts an end to the evil, as we do when we say, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But as children of our Heavenly Father, such love longs for their repentance just as he does. That love prays that Jesus through his word turn their hearts. And the kindness mercy and patience we show towards them, even towards our enemies whom we don't like. Our aim, our goal there is that through this kindness, patience and mercy we show them, they begin to see the kindness, patience and mercy of our Heavenly Father. What a way to let your light shine so that others praise your Father in Heaven. What a goal to live our lives by. And that's really what the idea behind that word perfect in the last verse of the text here. That the emphasis isn't on sinlessness. The emphasis is on reaching the goal. And what a goal for us to live for. To show others that same love that our Father has shown us. So that by our acts of love they see that we are truly children of our Father in heaven. You, dear Christian, you have experienced that love that is out of the world, the love of the Father that loved us while we were still His enemies. Now shine with that love in your life so that others through you experience that love that is out of this world. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.